right. Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Inside Joe Glantz, Metal John Schmelk with you, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll get to your tweets over the course of the program. Uh, obviously, this is getting to the slow period of the NFL, folks. All the teams have their OTAs and mini camps done, and you're in that five-and-a-half-week period, which seems to get shorter every year. I know it doesn't, but it seems like it does between the end of um, the spring portion of practice and the start of training camp uh, where guys now have some time off, and you hope everyone comes back in shape, no one gets into trouble, and then you get going <laughs> in training camp in that final week of July. Yeah, you hope everybody comes back and is able to pass the conditioning test, I think. Yeah. That's uh, what every coach is uh, keeping their fingers crossed. And this is the time of the year where most players they'll go off, they'll work out together with probably friends from other teams. That's common around this time of the year. It's also common for players to work out with some of their specialty coaches, their trainers, their positional coaches who they know throughout the course of their careers. I mean, everybody really picks a different game plan. But, you know, as you just mentioned, from a coaching perspective, you know, Pat Shermer's message is the same as every other coach, which is get your mind off of football, meaning, you know, try to breathe a little, but at the same time, don't lose focus on the fact that once training camp starts, it's immediately back to business and, you know, there's no downtime anymore. So you sort of have to find the balance. You don't want to be 100% all in football. You want to be able to spend time with family and so forth, get your mind off of it. But at the same time, I mean, you need to continue your workout regimen or else it's going to come back to haunt you once training camp starts. Yeah, the line that Pat Shermer used was that it's not time off, it's time away. So yeah. while you're right, Lance, you maybe you take a vacation, you spend some time with your family, but you have to maintain. And I think that's what I think it is. You want to maintain what you did in the spring. Everything you did in this facility or in whatever facility the players are going to, uh, to get ready for the season, whether it's mentally with the playbook or it's physically with staying in shape, you want to make sure that you hold on to some of that stuff when you show up in August. Otherwise, you're starting from scratch, you get injuries, you're not in line with the playbook, and you're not you know, up to speed with what the team's trying to install, and that's when you run into problems. Yeah, and the injuries is probably one of the biggest concerns because if guys are not working out, they're not staying in shape, then all of a sudden, early part of training camp, you put the pads on. They're not used to that type of physicality. And it's very easy for little injuries to sideline guys. And all of a sudden, if they try to play through it, it will then continue to get worse. And then all of a sudden, somebody's missing three to four weeks. So it's a really a fine line that you got to walk if you're a player during the course of this time period. And then... There's, of course, the off-the-field situations, which you never want to see a player of yours get in front of the headlines. And this is the time of the year where you know every coach, every team is just hoping, as long as our team is not in the news, we certainly have survived <laughs> this time period. Because, unfortunately, in previous off-seasons, unrelated to the Giants, but you know we tend to have one or two incidents that really runs with media headlines, mainly because, you know, as you start off the conversation, John, this is a time of the year where anybody who covers the league, you're really searching for something of substance to have a conversation about. And that's why if something happens off the field, the media is going to run with it because they know there's only so much you can run with X's and O's at this point. It's also a good time to take some time off if you cover football. This is, other than January, if your team's not in the playoffs, you know, there's not really a whole lot going on then. You know, in February, you get the combine, right? In March, you have all the pro days. And free agency. And even even in the January, you have the Senior Bowl, by the way. I should mention that. You get, that's right, free agency, thank you, in March. April, you have the draft, schedule release. Uh, May and June, you have the OTAs and minicamp. So, really, the only time of year where the NFL hasn't figured out how to jam something into a month and a half to get some attention, it's from the middle of June to the last week of July. And this is really the only... Really, the only dead period on the NFL calendar, and I'm not trying to give anybody ideas. Leave this the dead period on <laughs> well, the NFL calendar. It's fine. Don't listen to Paul Dottino. Leave this a dead period. We need it. But this is the one time where there's just not a whole lot going on. Well, I was going to say, if you really want to be technical, is it a dead period? Because if I'm correct, the supplemental draft actually falls during this time period. I I'm sure so. that one player that's going to get selected <laughs> hey, is going to make a lot of news. Hey, the Giants took Sam Beal, okay? So it made some news for us. We didn't complain at the time when we had something to analyze. That's true. Well, the challenge then for us is, of course, we try to figure out stuff to talk about that's interesting. So I thought there was a good article, and they talked about it this morning, and it kind of motivated me to find it. Bob Pop and Charlie Weiss on their serious show talked about it this morning. And Greg Rosenthal, who's one of the writers for NFL.com. You also see him on NFL Network sometimes. He's the king of the power rankings. Well, 
I don't like power we rankings. We don't have enough I, of those, by the way. I know we don't. Because, yeah. you know, arbitrary rankings before anybody takes a snap are, are very meaningful, as we all know. But I do think it's interesting. He decided to do a divisional power ranking. I'm not so much interested in the rankings as I am in just kind of breaking down where all the divisions are and how the playoff picture in both conferences might break down this year and kind of what teams to keep an eye on. So I'll just go through his list very quickly. We'll talk about how we would alter it, and then we'll kind of talk about in general um, how competitive some of these divisions uh, will be and maybe what some of the wildcard competitions might be around the league. So uh, the way Greg ranks his divisions around football, he has the toughest division, the NFC North, with the Bears, who obviously you know had one of the best records in the league last year. Packers there on Rodgers. Vikings, good defense. Kirk Cousins, two really good wide receivers. Dalvin Cook coming back healthy. And then the Detroit Lions, who had a rough year last year, but second year of Patricia. They've added players. You got Matthew Stafford. So the thing you like about the NFC North, Lance, is that there isn't a super weak spot in there where I don't think you think any of those teams will be picking in the top five in the draft next year. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't really see an overwhelming weakness with either of those teams. I, I would not put the NFC North number one, though, if you were to ask me just about the NFC, forget the league, because at the same time, I do think there are a number of question marks surrounding most of these teams. You know, the Green Bay Packers, John, as you noted, you know, you have Aaron Rodgers. You certainly have some defensive playmakers that they brought in. Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith come to mind to help the pass rush. But Green Bay's got a very young core of receivers that nobody yep. seems to be talking about. Other than Devontae Adams, John, it's really a guessing game. Are some of these guys going to have breakout years? Are some of these young players going to make names for themselves? That's one concern I have for Green Bay. The other concern I have for Green Bay is their secondary, which has been very shaky over the years. And if you look at their team, they've got some aging veterans like Tremont Williams, and then they have some young guys who, what are you going to get out of them? And what about the running game? Every year, don't we talk about the running game with Green Bay? Is this going to be the year that they're going to have a balanced attack like they did when they won the Super Bowl with James Starks as opposed to it's James going to be a revolving Starks. door? Yeah. Well, I'm bring up Dorsey Levins next. Edgar well, Amon Green. Amon yeah, Green. That's a good, good one go. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once had him on my fantasy team, had a nice run to help me win a game. <laughs> but anyway, that that's a whole other it, subject. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but in all seriousness, the year that Green Bay won the Super Bowl, and I'm not trying to get off topic here, but it was the running game. It wasn't just Aaron Rodgers trying to solve the Steelers' riddle. It was James Starks going into Philadelphia in that first round, having a good game in cold-weather environment, and then they rode that moving forward. The other thing they need to figure out is how to keep that offensive line healthy. Yeah, of they course. are constantly having injuries, especially a tackle. You know, and they're good players, which is why it's hard. But they're all they always seem to be banged up. Whether it's uh, you know, last year as Balaga was banged up, uh, Bakhtiari, right? He was banged up too on that yeah, team, a lot if, of guys. if I recall. So they got to figure out a way to keep that line healthy. So I'll jump to the next team, and this is who I think, frankly, Lance, I would put it number one in my power rankings for, for divisions. I really like the NFC South. Yeah, that would have been my choice as well. Now, how healthy Cam Newton is could impact this. If he's not the same. Then all of a sudden, maybe not. But you got the Saints, who we all know are, is an, are an excellent football team. And balance, too. Correct. their defense has come a long way. Good player. Good players. Good, well-coached. They didn't check all the boxes. The Falcons still have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. Uh, they still have Devontae Freeman as their running back. Good offensive line. Their defense, they've been trying to add to it. If they're healthier this year, maybe they'll be a little bit better. They were banged they, up last Deion year. Deion yeah. Jones was hurt. And uh, their safety... Ricardo Island. Thank you. He was hurt, too. So that's something they're trying to figure out. The Panthers, we know, if Cam's shoulder's okay, they're a solid team. And I'm, I've been optimistic on this team for a while, and I keep getting burned on it. But I think offensively at least, Bruce Arians is going to have the Buccaneers as a very good offensive football team. How their defense comes together with their pass rush remains to be seen. But I think offensively, the Bucs could be one of the best offensive teams in the league. I think Ronald Jones is going to have a big... Second year, we know about their weapons of wide receiver. Tons of them. I still have hope for Jameis Winston. I have hope for him. I'm not sold on him, but I have hope for him. And I think it's a good match, him with Bruce Arians' downfield passing game. Well, Arians has a great track record with quarterbacks, John. So I think that's one reason why you should be optimistic about Jameis Winston. You mentioned all the weapons around him. That's a positive. Also, the tight end position, I think, gets somewhat overlooked. 
O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. I, I think Bruce Arians could really take advantage of that. And they got a new defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles, who also has worked well with Bruce Arians if you go back to their Arizona days. Remember, Bowles was the defensive coordinator with James Betcher on staff, and Bencher then replaced Bowles when Bowles took over as Jets head coach. So there's some nice dynamics back in play. Arians brought in a lot of guys that he's comfortable with. He's done a good job grooming assistants. I agree with you. I think the infrastructure in Tampa Bay is extremely appetizing. And if that's the fourth team in your division, that's pretty good. which has a lot of upside, John, yeah, I would feel pretty good about the NFC South as well. Atlanta also, the reason why Atlanta intrigues me, Dirk Cutter is returning as offensive coordinator mm. who was previously the Tampa Bay head coach. He's got a history with Matt Ryan because he used to be the Falcons offensive coordinator. And he's a good offensive coach. Yeah, so all of these factors come into play and they get back to full health because anybody who watched Falcons football last year, not to make excuses, but they were decimated by injuries <sighs> across was, the board. It was bad, yeah. And they did a nice job drafting to improve the offensive line. I agree with you. Top to bottom, I'm a lot more excited about the South than I am the North. And, and one other thing about the North, by the way, I love the Bears, even though Chuck Pagano is replacing Vic Fangio. What happens with their kicking game, John? I mean, they're already analyzing these guys during OTAs missing in situations where there's some pressure on yeah, them. At some point, they were like a half dozen guys in there <laughs> or something like that. It was crazy. I mean, come on. I'd be concerned about that. And, you lose games that way. And the turnover ratio. You know, yeah, they, their turnover ratio last year was off the charts. I think they were almost plus 20, right, or something ridiculous Well, they like were that. top three. I, I don't know if they were that high, but to your point, they were an opportunistic group. There's and no I, doubt about I, it. John. And I always worry about that being sustainable. So, yeah, especially losing Fangio, who's one of the best defensive coaches in football. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, real quickly, uh, he we'll get to the AFC in a second. He had the NFC South as number three on his list. The AFC North is number two, which I have a... a plus a, 12, I, by the way, for the Bears thank last you. year. I have a bone to pick with... Uh, the, the AFC North and number two. But let's do the other two NFC divisions. And he has the NFC West at four and the NFC East at seven. And this is where I'm, I, I have a bit of a bone to pick. Because to me, you look at the top two teams in those divisions and they're about the same. I mean, look, I think the Rams are probably the best team. But I like the Eagles and Cowboys more than I like the Seahawks at this point. So I don't think there's much different in, in, in terms of the top two teams. I think the Cowboys and Eagles are both legitimate playoff teams. And then throw in the fact that I think the Seahawks have a chance to be a playoff team, and I think the Rams obviously are, are the runaway favorites in that division at this point. But I like the top of both divisions. But look, there's a chance, Lance, that the 49ers and the Cardinals are going to be disastrous again. These two teams were really bad last year. Now, things can change. Garoppolo's healthy. I get it. The Niners added people on defense. I get it. Yeah, And Kyler Murray, Kingsbury, I get it. But... Look, I think the Redskins are not going to be very good, but I think the Giants have a much better chance of being a 500 team than either the Niners or the Cardinals at this point. I think that's fair, and I would lean towards also giving the NFC East the edge over the NFC West. The Niners are intriguing, John. They are. And the reason why they're intriguing is injuries last year. I mean, come on. They lost Jarek McKinnon before the season even started. Jimmy Garoppolo went down. You have them back, and then some of the other pieces that they added. I think their offense is going to be fine. I don't trust their back seven on defense. Yeah, their secondary was a mess last year. And let's be honest, they didn't really do a great job in bolstering that unit. They brought in Jason Verrett, who is an injury play corner out of the Chargers system, Mm -hmm. who I love. I think Verrett's going to be a great player, assuming he can stay healthy, though. But it's a huge question mark. You got an aging Richard Sherman. They do a nice job with their front seven. They got a lot of rotational guys. And a D Ford. So, correct, D Ford. Mm Mm-hmm in the trade with Kansas City. But, you know, is this going to be the year that that unit is going to come together? I think there's going to be a team that's going to have to have a lot of high-scoring games, John. I'm with you. They're going to hope that Kyle Shanahan, another year under his belt with this system, Jimmy G back to health, can really get the offense going. I mean, you look at what Kittle could do at tight end. They got some young, great wide receivers. Pettis, guys like that. So all of that, I think the Niners are going to be able to score. I get the concern about who are they going to be able to stop. And then the Cardinals, rookie quarterback. Who the hell knows College coach, <laughs> new defense, you name it. Million question marks. Whereas, you know, the Redskins and the Giants say all you want about the questions. But at least you've got two returning coaches. You've got, for the most part, returning coordinators. With the Redskins, you have a mix between a veteran quarterback and a young option. The Giants, the same thing. But, I mean, we're not debating the quarterback situation here. And... You know, you figure the defense should get better for the Giants year two in Betcher's system. Nobody's saying that they're going to be a top five unit, but I don't think it's asking for much if perhaps the sacks go up a little bit and the unit overall plays better, considering you also have a few more guys that are familiar with Betcher. I think it's interesting to see how it balances out 
a second year with Betcher versus losing some really good players. Yeah. And we'll see how those two things balance out. Um, who are your favorites, you think, if you take away your favorite in the division winners? I think in terms of wild cards in the NFC very quickly, and then we'll touch on the AFC teams real quick because it doesn't affect the Giants quite as much. I think the Cowboys and Eagles are two realistic teams that can make the playoffs out of the East, right? I would agree. Out of the North, I think the Packers, Bears, and Vikings are all realistic playoff teams. Out of the South, I think it might be tough for the Panthers, but obviously the Falcons and Saints are right in the mix. And then in the West, we mentioned the Seahawks and the Rams. So um, there, there are a lot of things there that I think are a lot of teams that can compete there for a playoff spot. So you're looking there, Lance, at like two wild card spots. And in terms of realistic teams making the playoffs, look at almost 11 or 12 teams with six teams getting in. So it's going to be a fierce battle for those last couple playoff spots in the NFC. No, I think that it's a very valid point. I would say I'd be stunned, John, if two teams from the NFC South don't make the postseason. So I, I pretty much am penning in a wild card team from that division. Did they last year? The Falcons didn't make it last year, right? No. I think we only won last year. It was mm-hmm. just one, yes. But I do like bounce-back campaigns for the Panthers and the Falcons. I agree. And I also think the Bucks are going to make strides, mm-hmm. and they could even be a wild-card consideration. So, once again, I'd be very surprised if that division only has one representative. As far as the North, I could also see two teams easily make the postseason. I do think one of these teams that everybody thinks is going to have an unbelievable turnaround is going to be set up for a disappointment. And I think the Bears may come back down to earth a little bit because of what we talked about with turnover differential last season and some of the personnel that they lost as well as their defensive coordinator. You know, the Vikings, I'm a big Vikings fan. I I like Minnesota, but here's the one thing about Minnesota. Their defense year after year has either been plagued by injuries, they've worn down late in the season. Mm -hmm. What are we going to get out of Minnesota's defense? I love Zimmer, love what he's been able to do with that team. But it's a little Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde at this point. The Packers, I think there's a lot of hype. And I don't know if you saw the report about supposedly Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are not necessarily seeing eye to eye. because shocking. Rodgers wants more <laughs> flexibility in calling audibles at the line of scrimmage. Okay, so, Maybe so, we're making too much out of this. Who knows? So I will still. summarize. Aaron Rodgers wants to do whatever he wants. Pretty much. Yes. I can't believe, based on what we've heard about it before, that that might be the case. Yes. So read into that. As you wish. And the Lions, a team that was aggressive this offseason, Matt Patricia year two with his defense, bringing in Trey Flowers. I like the pieces on offense for Detroit. I I really like their ability to consistently run the football now, which is something that I wasn't saying with optimism in maybe three or four years prior. So Lions, to me, sort of that intriguing team like San Francisco. I agree, though. I think they're going to run the football much better this year. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So then it gets back to the Cowboys and the Eagles, and we're not going to have two representatives from the East, the North, and the South. So somebody well, and, and don't is going this, to Don't forget the Seahawks in the West, too. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I every year I say to myself, is this the year that I should dismiss the Seahawks? And then Pete and Carroll. Wrong. Yeah, Pete Carroll then. <laughs> Shuts us all up and quiets the skeptics. Right. But in fairness, John, how many more years are we going to see them lose personnel or guys retire or sacrifice somebody financially? Eventually, you figure it's going to catch up with them, no? But there's Russell Wilson. And the you. one thing I give the Seahawks a lot of credit for, I think they've done a really good job, and this to me gets overlooked. Despite the fact that they've lost the Legion of Boom, how about the fact that they're grooming young guys who are coming in and playing at a high level? So that's something that I think gives them hope on defense that a lot of people don't tend to talk about. But I would still yeah. stand behind. I think only one team's going to come out of the a- NFC West this year. I like to use point differential as a big guide to how good teams really were. But sometimes records can get skewed based on a couple of close games, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of point differential last year, the runaway teams were the Bears at plus 138. Again, I think that's going to normalize a bit based on the turnover differential and the you know all the defense. I mean, they had almost like a half dozen defensive touchdowns last year, I think, or something crazy like that. Uh, the Saints were plus 151. I think they're going to be really good. I think the Rams are interesting, a plus 143. I think we saw second half of last year, teams adjusting to what Sean McVay likes to do. Let's see how he adjusts back this year. He's a very smart guy. I think he can do it, but I want to see how that works out. But those are the three runaway teams. After that, you had the Seahawks at plus 81, and then it's a mess. Cowboys plus 15. Eagles plus 19. So a much smaller disparity. Vikings plus 19. Falcons just minus nine. Panthers just minus six. And frankly, Packers are just minus 24. So you have teams there all within 
30 points differential of each other. And that can swing oh. either way. And by the way, the Giants at 5-11 and 11 were just in minus 43. The Redskins at 7-9 and nine were minus 78, okay? So the Giants, I think actually their record is probably a little bit worse than what it should have been based on their point differential. So I think it's a real interesting look at, with the point differential, how close a lot of those second-tier NFC teams are and how really hard that battle is going to be for that second wildcard spot. Lance, I think it's going to take 10. And last year, it took 10. The The Seahawks and the Cowboys were both 10-6 and six last. I take it back. The Cowboys won the division at 10-6. and six. The Eagles were 9-7. and seven. They got Stuck in, in as the second yeah. wildcard team. And they were the only 9-7 and seven team. They didn't even have to win a tiebreaker to get in. So I think you're going to probably have to win maybe 10, but a minimum of 9 if you want to get into the playoffs in the NFC. Yeah, I, to me, I think that's a no-brainer. And the reason why I think the Eagles got in at 9 is because a lot of the teams we were talking about, John... The Falcons, the Panthers, just injuries were too much. For example, Carolina, remember, Cam gets hurt. They shut him down late last mm-hmm. season. So the Panthers fell off. And the Vikings were neck and neck with the Eagles that final week, remember. 8-7-1 they finished. They that, had yeah. an opportunity. But, you know, they also lost some close games. And they had some injuries. I, I don't think their defense was as impressive as it had been in previous years. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings offense was a bit of a disappointment. They didn't run the ball effectively. So Minnesota is a candidate for the offense to improve, maybe the defense gets back to even play. I don't know. I, I think there's still a lot of questions looming. And, and you brought up the point differential. Remember, the Giants had the most points in the NFC East and then gave up the most points. Yes. So that's another mm-hmm. reason why you know they were a tough team to get a good read on. How do those numbers balance out this season, I think, is something to watch. And that's dependent on, of course, how the Giants' defense performs. But the one thing that I think we could take away from this conversation, the NFC has a lot of depth. The NFC is going to be a gauntlet. It's never easy. This NFC East division is a flip of the coin type of mentality. I say this stat all the time, and I think it's relevant again. Nobody's won back-to-back division titles since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. So the Cowboys are nowhere near a lock to win this division again this season. The last four, though, have been split between Dallas and Philly, right? Is that accurate? Am I wrong about that? Well, I know Dallas has won three of the last five. That I know. So did Philly win those oh, the Philly, the others? Ones in between? Because Washington won in 15. That was their last division okay, title. So, okay, so I guess so not there then. there it goes. Okay, I guess not then. Okay. Real quick, I don't want to do the AFC. I'll save that maybe for you and Feagles tomorrow if you guys want to mess around with the AFC. Because we're already at 20 minutes. I want to make sure we get to your calls. You know, the Panthers, despite all their issues last year, were still 7-9, and the Falcons were still 7-9 despite all their injuries. And I think that's telling. I really do, and I've always been a big Mike Zimmer guy, so I I think the Vikings are going to make a run this year. But here's my question for you, and I'll end on this. If if I made you choose a team to have the worst record in the NFC, what team would you choose? I'd probably lean towards the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, that would be the team that I would lean towards. The only thing, though, I will say about Arizona is I could see Kingsbury's system maybe throwing a curveball the way of a number of opponents. Especially They're caught off guard, Mm -hmm. and maybe they get, you know, six wins, and they surprise some people. That doesn't mean they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they can win some close games because teams just don't know what to anticipate from Kyler Murray. So if we were to factor that in and eliminate the Cardinals from the conversation, then, hmm. I know who I would go with, and I think it'll be a popular choice. See, I would never pick Seattle. No, I, I oh, think no, that no, people no, no, would no, 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 no. be no, disrespected, no, no, no. Pete Carroll. And I do think the Niners with Jimmy G I wouldn't pick them either. are going to make some noise. I think they'll score enough points where they're not going to be that far down. And Carolina, here's the thing with Carolina. Even if you want to bring up Cam's question marks, I think Carolina's got a really good defense. So I think Carolina can make up for what they lack on offense with their defense. Don't sleep on the Carolina defense. If they Cam's, got some playmakers if there. If Cam's not out there, though, they're a candidate. They're a candidate. Well, and, and I get that, but good defenses can win close games. So I, I would go Washington. Yeah, Washington was, was a team that I was going to throw out there, but the thing with the Redskins is I'm not a believer that Haskins is a lock to win that job, and it's a wide-open competition. No, I don't think he I, I think either. Gruden is leaning towards going with the veteran early. And I think that's fine. Here's my problem, Lance. And this is a legitimate problem, and I don't know how they get around it. Who the, whoever plays quarterback, 
who the heck is getting open? Well, that's a fair question. I mean, Jordan Reed's hurt all the time. He did hold I mean, up last year. What, Paul Richardson? Who was also banged up, by the way. Josh Doxson? Who can't catch. I, I mean, <laughs> those are their top two receivers. It's a real problem. I mean... No, yeah, I'm with you. Terry McLaurin? I mean, I, you know me. He was my sleeper in the draft. Yeah. I love Terry McLaurin, but he's a rookie wide yeah, receiver. No sample size. And look, they have a good offensive line. Their defense is pretty good. But... So we'll see what happens with Trent Williams at left tackle. Oh, that's right. He says he might yeah. not want to go back. He has issues with their medical staff, right? So, you know, I just don't know how they're going to move the ball. I know Darius Geis is back. They'll try to run the and ball first. And they still have AP. Yeah, I get all and that. And he ran the ball very well last year. I know. Chris Thompson. If if I if you made me pick a team, I picked the Reds. No, Washington makes sense based on everything you said. I mean, Washington probably, along with Arizona, are the most logical ones just based on talent and question marks. And obviously, we, we can't predict injuries. I'm sure there'll be just like well, one team then, that gets hammered, and there's no way for us to predict. Always that. a factor. Yeah, and, and there is a team right now that's going to be banged up that has a lot of hype, and we just don't know. And not that we wish that upon anybody, but that's the nature of the beast. For example, Atlanta to me was the top candidate last year. Who would have thought that? And they immediately went down. If you go back, the Falcons opened up against the Eagles, if memory serves me correct, last season. And the Falcons players were dropping like flies in the secondary. (laughs) So, you know, who would have thought that that would have happened? The key for Washington this season, John, is going to be not the quarterback play and not the receivers. See, I would argue the key for Washington is can they run the ball consistently and effectively? Because if you go back to last season— Washington kept its head above water because of what Adrian Peterson did. And this was the magical number. When AP got to 70 rushing yards himself, not the team, him, it indicated a win. When he got less than that, it was the complete opposite direction. So they went as far as AP took them on the ground. And remember, Alex Smith got hurt. So they weren't fully healthy at quarterback. Well, that's the thing. Once Alex Smith got hurt, though, they fell off a cliff. They did because when they couldn't run the football effectively, to your point, they also had nobody to throw to. Yeah, but here's my point. They couldn't run the ball because nobody respected the quarterback play. But I think that Case Keenum should earn more respect than anybody they threw in, John, in fairness. Yeah, Cole McCoy played, what, a half before he got hurt last year? Yeah, I mean, Cole McCoy was barely out there. That's fine. Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson. That's fair. I'll buy that. Nobody's putting Case Keenum in the Hall of Fame, but it should not be dismissed what Case Keenum did in Minnesota and what Case Keenum has done in the past. He's a more than serviceable quarterback. Is he dependent on the talent around him? Absolutely. But if that offensive line plays well, they run the football well, Keenum, to me, is more than capable of making plays. And here's the other thing with Washington, which probably nobody's talking about much. They're a quiet defense. What I mean by that, the Redskins have some big boys up front. John, mm-hmm. if they can make some noise, Washington can keep themselves in games because of their defense. That's the one thing that has to be talked about in the NFL compared to the NBA and hockey and every other sport. In the NFL, another facet can make up for your shortcomings elsewhere because those guys don't play both sides of the ball. 201-939-4513. Give us your opinion on the conference, potential playoffs, division, and all that stuff. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go to our phones at 201-939-4513. Oh, by the way, David, good job. Last seven NFC East titles, three for Dallas, two for the Eagles, and two for the Redskins, going from 2012 to 2018. Because 2015 was the last Redskins one, and the Cowboys have won three of the last five. Correct. And the Eagles were 17 and 13. The Redskins were 15 and 12. The Cowboys were 18, 16, and 14. So, someone's up this year. Don't bet on Dallas if you're going to Vegas, folks. 201-939-4513. Hashtag well, the drought eventually chat. has to end, though. <laughs> Does you it? figure. Well, who knows? I, Does it? All droughts, though, are meant to end. It's just, they are. is this going to be the year, or is it going to take us another 10 years? Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. He'll leave us off today. Joe, what's going on, pal? Uh, going good, uh, guys. There, uh, I, I, I just want to cut. You were mentioning Washington. Don't forget their tight end. He always comes in with some big catches there. Yeah, John he, mentioned Jordan Reed. There. He just hasn't uh, been able to stay healthy. Correct. That's the problem. Yes, right, right. But he, you know what I mean? He's, he's Oh, a, he's, he's certainly a, a playmaker. No, no doubt about it, Joe. Right. And uh, I agree with all what you said there, what, what, who's who's in the running there and that. Uh, the only thing I have a question there, I see with with Daniel Jones there, and I know he... he uh, uh, threw the ball on the run a lot. Do you see any uh, 
scenario there where where Shermer would put him in in short uh, yardage or in the red zone there, you know, to either run or throw the ball somehow there, a package for him possibly. Would you do it, or do you think he but So you're, you're asking, is Daniel Jones going to be the Giants version of Taysom Hill from New Orleans? Is that what you're insinuating, Joe, where they bring in a backup quarterback and they have him run a few plays? Well, well that, I, I just, uh, you know what I mean, with him run, rolling out or either the runner throw the ball there where the defense just can't get in on our uh, running game there and box it in, and it, it does open it up a little more, and it's something a little more they have to prepare for, you know. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, you know uh, what I would think would be more likely, John, and I'm curious your thoughts. I could see Pat Shermer being creative and using Golden Tate who has the capabilities of throwing the football and using personnel at other positions if they want to catch defenses off guard, more so than bringing in Daniel Jones in any capacity. Yeah, so someone, uh, I forget, I was listening to someone that uh, wanted to draft Daniel Jones and use him as a tight end or something. So I, read I don't know, too. or bring him in with Manning or something like that to mix it up a little bit. But uh, I was just running in short yardage like that where him and Barkley, you know what I mean, they can go inside, outside, or he could throw the ball. Well, but you know? here's the so, thing. Uh, I mean, Joe, when you got a guy like Saquon Barkley on your team, do you really need to get creative? I mean, isn't he more than capable mm-hmm. of picking up the one or two yards that you need because of uh, his ability to make people miss? I I agree, but I mean, uh, he, a running uh, a little running quarterback adds to it and opens it up in a tight box in the de- on the defense there. I think in a, in short yardage and stuff like that, and he's good in throwing the ball short too. You know, hey Joe, do I me a favor, bring Eli back in there. I, it's something I, I I could see if he's going good to me. Joe, do me know? a favor when you when next time Paul Dottino's on, I want you to call. Well, I don't want to get Paul's hair. <laughs> no, 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 but I do. That's what I want, Joe. I want you to get. Paul all, all yeah. riled up. Come on. We want you to do that, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Nah, he's a good guy. But I, I, I yeah. want to put a surprise. That's the beat debate. If this happens yeah. during the season, I'll call, call you back okay. and tell you now. Uh, you think I'm nuts here or not? No, no, no. no, 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 no. no. I, I think you're thinking a little bit out of the box. That's Thank all. You, There's Joe. nothing wrong with that, it. Joe. One other thing to – that's what the end of June's for, by the way, to think out of the box because there's nothing else to do. Correct. You, you can dig deep, yeah. get creative. Uh-huh. One other thing to note – not saying that he's a lock to make the team. They do have a guy like Eric Dungy on the roster. If he somehow makes the roster, you know, I think you'd utilize a guy like that, Joe, under those circumstances. So keep that in mind because he's somebody that they're getting reps in at tight end. So all of that, I think, is part of the conversation, part of what they'll experiment with during the course of training camp. The other thing that is also important to think about, Taysom Hill has the physique, the body build of a guy that can take the brunt of hits, you know, can run as a wide receiver, can be utilized as a running back. I just, I personally don't envision Daniel Jones as being that type of guy. That doesn't mean that I don't think he has athleticism. That doesn't mean that I don't think he has versatility. But I think when they drafted Daniel Jones, number six overall, I don't think Pat Shermer and the Giants coaching staff is saying to themselves, let's try to expose him to a few hits where he could all of a sudden injure himself and then we're now putting our backup quarterback in jeopardy. I I just don't see them wanting to do that. Remember, New Orleans had Teddy Bridgewater on the roster. They can afford to put Taysom Hill into those scenarios. And if the Giants kept Eric Dungy, they can afford to put him in those scenarios. And I'm not one, remember, you could throw this back at me. I always say I don't like holding a special teams player back from returning simply because he's a wide receiver, but that's a different thing than now throwing a backup quarterback who you use the high pick on just to get creative. I just think they have too much talent on this team to focus so much on Daniel Jones in those situations. I agree. I'll leave it at that. There we go. You know, Dungy is somebody people talked about too. The kid at Syracuse, but he's been hurt. So yeah, we haven't seen any of that. But yeah, and look, I, I don't think... I'll make a bold prediction. It's my bold prediction. Maybe it's not that bold, but I'll make it anyway. Going out on a limb. You will not see Eli Manning and Daniel Jones on the field at the same time this year. (laughs) You mean Eli won't line up like Joe Flacco as a wide receiver out wide? Is that what you're telling me? But if he did, he'd show much more enthusiasm than Joe Flacco (laughs) did when he lined up at wide receiver. That's always one of my favorite things to watch when it's like Drew Brees out there or Flacco out there and you got Hillard and Jackson there under center. And they're just like, I could not have less interest in even making believe I'm going to do anything out here other than stand up and watch. Because that's all they do. 
Well, and that's why I think you have to question, are you even being effective, John, in putting another quarterback in that scenario? Because are you really fooling the defense? Do they truly think that Joe Flacco is going to run a route? Do they truly think Eli Manning is going to run a route and they're even going to take a chance at throwing him the football up the left sideline or the right sideline? Tell that to Tom Brady. Well, yeah, you're I mean, talking uh, about the play. Nick Foles, I'm sorry. Nick Foles. And I get Not that. Tom Brady. No, I, I get that. But that was also a big pair of brass you-know-what oh, for Doug Peterson <laughs> yeah, to call that play, okay? And and then the Patriots, you, you are wrong, because remember, they ran a similar play where Brady and, and, ran out and went and right Brady through his dropped hands. it, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's a copycat league. I get that. But I don't remember the Saints, and t- how many times was Taysom Hill brought in, and it, you-know-what, ticked me off from a fantasy perspective, okay? <laughs> Had to get that out, okay? All right? But how many times did they actually throw the ball to Drew Brees? I'm looking it up right now, And actually. Drew Brees... I don't think... I mean, I watched a lot of Saints games last year. I don't remember Drew ever being targeted as a wide receiver. Maybe on a flea flicker, but that doesn't count. Rushing and receiving. Last year, Drew Brees had one catch for one yard. I'd love to know if that was off a deflection. Part of me feels it may oh, have been a deflection. you know what? Where he throws a pass, gets knocked yeah, back, and he catches I, it himself. I don't think he was an intended receiver on the play. You might be like right. That. I want to say it was a deflection, and he caught it. And you know what? As a proud fantasy owner of Drew Brees, I believe there was a situation and, and, where and, he was catching a deflection. And you got one point for that? I believe I did, yes. <laughs> I wanna, I'm going to bank on the fact that I'm right about it was a deflection. I feel very good about that being the case. By the way, I'm Somebody curious. wants to waste some of their ample time during the course of the offseason. Look that up. I want to go back and see how Drew Brees caught a pass for 21 yards in 2003 for the Chargers, and then in 2004 caught a pass for 38 yards for the Chargers. I want to look at those plays. I'd love to see that play, too. 38 my, yards? My really? guess is, if memory serves me correct, they didn't shy away from LT throwing the ball here or there. Oh, you think it was one of those? I want to say it been. may have been one of the Ladanian Tomlinson trickery plays. And that was before he hurt his shoulder. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people don't talk about that enough, and I know we'll get to your calls in a second. I want to get to one tweet as well. Um, boy, the Dolphins choosing Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. That's going to go down as one of the biggest pivot points in NFL history, let's be honest. Well, you're talking about the year that Brees was a free agent, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And there was some chatter that— Well, they brought him in. They failed him on the physical. Yeah. Well, that was the concern, the shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like the Chargers were concerned— which is why they felt good about moving in the direction of Phillip Rivers because they were nervous about giving him a contract. But there was talk about the Chargers would re-up Drew Brees and still keep Phillip Rivers on the bench. And yeah, how things would have turned out differently with Miami. if Or also Imagine Nick Ju- Saban, too. Think about that. Yeah, 100%. Remember. Imagine Saban and Brees versus Belichick and Brady for 10 years in the AFC East. Well, you know what this conversation reminds me of? I had a conversation on my serious show with Cam Cameron. Cam Cameron, if you remember, took over for Nick Saban. So Cam was the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. He worked with Breeze and Phillip Rivers. And I asked him, it's funny you brought this up. I asked Cam, I said, you know, wouldn't it have been funny you went to Miami, you would have been reunited with Drew Brees. His response was, well, you know what? Nick Saban probably still has a job, and I don't take <laughs> over in Miami. And you know what? It's a fair point. So 100%. all of these domino effects that you're bringing up, John, yeah, the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, but I, I think the outlook of coaches and players would have been a lot different, the history of the NFL, if some decisions like that would have been made. Drew Brees over Dante Culpepper. Len in Columbia, Maryland's up next. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. What's right, up, Len? Len? Good, good. Hey, John, you got you got to be careful of your prediction about uh, whether we'll see Jones on the field with Eli. Uh, you, you probably said the same thing. You probably could have said the same thing last year about the chances of getting Loletta on the field with Eli. And, of course, we did see one play in game 16 where where Kyle Loletta was flanked out as a wide receiver. So, you know, you, wow, never you know. Well, you know what, Len? I didn't even remember that happened, to be honest with you. I did not remember that. That's a good call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't remember I, that. You, you, talk about emptying the playbook in the last yeah. game of the year. It was well, almost like I guess that's what happens it, in the last game of the year. To fall out, and yeah. there, there's a play. I think it was very early in the game. It may have been the first series of the game okay. where we we had Loretta flanked out there to the left. Yeah, I, I think it was that. actually to the left. But um, you know, anyway, um, John, I listened to yesterday's show, and um, I, I was somewhat surprised. You got you and Paul. Both both sounded a bit muted regarding where we're going next year. I, I, I know you know you're not going to say we're going to the Super Bowl, but the, the best Paul could do would say he thought 
I, I think you'll remember this. Paul said he thought we could, you know, play a meaningful game in December, but I, I wasn't sure you could actually get to that point. Listening to you yesterday. No, look, I, I think I think I would consider this a, a successful season if you get to 500 or better and you're playing meaningful games in December. And I think there's a chance the team can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's uh, hope. I'd like to be surprised and see us see us in that kind of. And Len, position. by the way, real quick, um, real quick, the team can do better than that too. If this young secondary plays well and the and the young pass rushers develop. You're very realistic to make a run at the division or make a run at the wild card. That is a realistic thing if those two things happen. I'm just trying to make sure expectations don't get out of control so I don't get a bunch of angry people calling me for three months after pumping them up with expectations over the there summer. You <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the right time of year to be saying those things, if this, if that. Sure. And I'm I'm right with you guys. I'm right with you guys on that. I, you know, you're absolutely sure. Lance, what what do you what do you, what do you think? I mean, if you went, what do you, what do you see in this roster? I know we don't have to pick a number. We don't need to pick a number of wins. But what what's your? You know, it's a good time to kind of talk about this. I think. What do what do you, what do you think about this roster? Well, I I've said this all off season. This team comes down to its defense. What does the defense do? Does the defense exceed expectations? Then I think the Giants exceed expectations. Does the defense make strides from last season? Then I think the team makes strides. It all dependent on the defense. I'm not overly concerned about the offense. I think the offense should be able to put points on the board consistently. You know, nobody's saying that they're going to light up the scoreboard every game, but what we saw the final four games I don't think was fluky. I think from a schematic standpoint, it's what the Giants are hoping for. And with an improved offensive line, hopefully the production increases with it. But, you know, to ask me what I think this defense is going to produce, as John mentioned, with a young secondary, expect to have wow-me games, I think, out of some of these guys. And then I think there's going to be games where the polished wide receivers are going to take them for a ride. Just be expecting that. And I think James Betcher as a defensive coordinator, even the positional coaches need to go into the season understanding that. And then the pass rush. You know, how much does Marcus Golden give you now that he's removed from the torn ACL? Very important player. Lorenzo Carter is just as an important player. Okay, what does he do? And then as far as the, the front group, I think that they got a lot of big boys, but a lot of these big boys don't necessarily jump out at you as sack guys. So are are you going to get, you know, three or four out of each one of them? Hey, that's how all of a sudden your production goes up. And are they going to be able to get off the field on third down, which has been an Achilles heel for this defense, no matter who the coordinator is. So, you know, I I just threw out a, a lot of question marks. But you know what? I'm surprised you didn't bring up, Len. Here's what the season comes down to. And, you know, maybe we'll take another show and I'll give you the laundry list. When is the last time that the Giants had a divisional record? I mean, against their division where they got to four and two. Because it's real simple. You want to have a taste of the playoffs, you've got to get into that four and two category against the division. We've well, been talking about that for years. I, I know we I think have, it was but actually, it was 2016. I think they went four and two. The year they made correct. the playoffs. Correct. So, but yeah. that—that's the one exception, even compared to the 15, the 14s, and the 13s yeah. of the world. Oh yeah. So, so the point is, as much as we want to focus on defense, offense, it's all going to come down to how do they perform within the division, and if yes. they're going to go to yes. two and four, three and three territory, then that's also going to put them in a very precarious situation. Battle in four games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, Lance. You know that. The division record. I mean, if you look at it, John ran some numbers by us about who ran it. You know, who won the division just before he took the call from Joe in Pennsylvania. You know, he ran those numbers by us. It made my stomach turn. Geez, I, I, it's been such a long time yeah. since we've won the division. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely. I think. Let me let me give you you know a little my opinion without throwing out a number sure. of of wins. You know, I think if 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 we get a fair shake. With injuries, you know, and the quality of injuries. And what I mean by that is, you know, we don't get wiped out at tight end where we're playing our fifth-string tight end yeah, of course. In, in games 14, 15, and 16. If there's an equality of, of injuries, and, and we can get a break with our, our best 25 to 28 players, and that may not necessarily be all starters, but 25 to 28 players, if, if we don't get, you know, major injuries, season-ending injuries, of course, every team can say the same thing I'm saying now, but I, I think we can compete pretty well. And I, I, I would, John, I would agree with you and with Paul from yesterday that, you know, we, we can get to December with a look if things break right. We may have a better chance of making the playoffs by winning the division 
than we would making it as a wild card. You know, something crazy happens, and we wind up winning nine, and somehow with the tiebreakers, we win the you know we win the division. But you know, you look at Rosenthal's list, and you look at the NFC. Holy cow! It seems like every team has a shot at a wild card. I don't, I don't know how we make the wild card. Maybe we can sneak in as a division winner. Hey, Lance, let me ask you a quick question. You're you're better with the numbers than I am. Um, somehow I I can't find this number, and it's probably my lack of technological expertise. But um, what percentage? If I throw out a question, you you don't have to rush and try to answer this today, but. You know, what, what percentage of plays did Peppers play on defense last year? You know, the standard first three downs, how, how do I find that number? You're, so you're talking about really his defensive snaps then? Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, I mean, I could easily, what, I could easily bring that up. That's not a problem. I'll bring up the well, Cleveland Browns snaps. You could bring up number of snaps. He's looking for percentage, I think. Well, we then have to look up Their the total, total snaps and everything. Snaps, but we can at least yeah. get an idea of how many snaps... He was on the field for. I mean, that's yes. that's not necessarily a, a, a problem to find here. I'm going to bring up yep. last season's numbers, okay? And okay. then I, you know we can get a, an idea in terms of the uh, snap count because Peppers has been asked about this while I look up the numbers, Len, and you know he even pointed to that he wasn't pleased with his utilization for the Cleveland Browns defense last year. He feels that he could have produced more had he been given more opportunities. So, you know, if you, you know, I, I heard that quote, and maybe that's what's led me to ask this, you know, the It question. may have been, yeah. Go ahead, I'm listening, Len. Uh, oh, I thought you had more to add to that. Maybe that's what led. I think I heard him say that or read that he had said that. All right, well, I got it right uh, here. He wished he'd been on the field a little more than... I, Len, I got it right here. Defensive snaps last year... Jabril Peppers had 766. Okay. If you look at some of the other guys, just for an example, Miles Garrett had 1,012. Demarius okay. Randall, wow. the safety, had 1,082. Yeah. So, wow. it, so let's say let's max it out at like 1,100 just to give yeah. just, just an right. example. You're looking, that's probably around 70% of the snaps, give or take, is, is, wow. is, is what he played on defense. What, what, yeah, I've got he, 65%. You, you, yeah. you guys have any feel for, what, what was that all about? Greg Williams? Yeah, well, well, it's not, um, I would have thought, <laughs> I thought, I would have thought um, he would be on the field more. Maybe it was because of his special teams use, and they, they took him out on a, on a first down play after a punt or a kickoff or something. I, well, it looks like I'm, to I'm me... Of, I'm kind of surprised at the number. It looks like to me that it wasn't even based on run pass, because if you compare his numbers to Randall, um, let's see, he had about 118 fewer rush snaps, which was about 25% of the snaps taken. Um, rush plays and coverage-wise, he had... 250 or so fewer, which is about 40%. So it looks like they gave him more of a break on coverage than they did on okay. rushdowns. But it, surprisingly enough, he actually graded out better as a coverage player than he did as a as a rush player, too. But he That's also crazy. he also yeah. rushed the pass. Here's the different thing, too. I just noticed this. He also rushed the passers 69 times. So those are passing downs. So you add, okay. that, so you add that to the coverage grade, and all of a sudden... You know, it was almost balanced in terms of how many rush plays and pass plays he sat on the bench. So I don't know what Greg Williams was thinking. I don't yeah, think I want to yeah, know what Greg right. Williams that's, that's was thinking. That's kind of an interesting. But, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. But what, what piqued my curiosity is reading again that he had said he wished he, he'd been on the field a little more. Yeah. Here, here's my one major concern. Yeah, real quick, Len. Thanks for, thanks for keeping me on so yeah. long. Um, he, he, I, I hope we don't get into, you know, game five or game six and – we start saying to each other, oh, man, the pass rush just isn't coming together. We just don't. I mean, on paper, that pass rush looks scary bad. I mean, somebody oh. is just going to have to surprise the heck out of it. It's got to be Golden. Either Golden, Carter, or Zimenez are going to have to make big improvements from their production from either the college in Zimenez's case or for uh, Golden and Carter, their production last year. Man, that's it. I, I, I want to be surprised so bad about that pass rush. Yeah, us too, Len. I just, I just don't, I just don't see it. Oh, hey, thank, thank you. Thank you, Len. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good stuff. And it's a huge X factor. And by the way, I think we're going to know early kind of how this season's going to go. The first four games, you're at Dallas, home versus Buffalo, at Tampa, home versus Washington. Okay, you have to be minimum two and two after those first four games. 
Because off that, you're home versus the Vikings, and you're at New England on a short week on a Thursday. And you don't want to be starting the season, you know, 1-5 or 2-4, and four, okay? So you better go minimum 2-2 two and two on those four, four, first four games, but 3-1 and one would be preferable. Well, and then also, remember, two of those games are within the division. Correct. So, you know, if you lose both of those games, regardless of what your record is, John, though, then we get into the divisional record issue which puts even more pressure on you in the second half of the season to win those divisional games, which goes without saying, but, you know, if you at least balance out the record over the course of the season, that's going to help. And here's the other thing. Len was bringing up about, you know, well, you know, how do you go about winning the division or how do you go about getting a wild card? The Giants are playing the NFC North this year. Now, we just went over NFL.com's article by Greg Rosenthal. He has the NFC North as the best division in all of football. Now, the bright side, he has the AFC East as the worst, and the Giants also play them. Yeah, but I think everybody always picks the AFC East as the worst because nobody thinks anybody's going to push New England, but they've got a division where you've got a lot of young quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. some guys who had some promising rookie years. You've got Brian Flores, who's the new coach for the Dolphins. He's a defensive-minded guy, and he's looking to improve that unit. So, you know, there's a lot of new faces within that division. The Jets with Adam Gase, some of the free agents they brought in. This may not be the same old AFC East, I guess is my point. I'm not saying somebody's going to knock off New England, but let's not make it sound as if it's a continuation of what we've seen in the last few seasons with all of the other suspects. Of course, a trademark of the AFC East has been a lot of changes in head coaching positions and general managership, so maybe it is more of the same. Antonio Manhattan is next. Antonio, what's going on, pal? Hey, what's going on, guys? I want to stick to the conversation about the defense, and my worry is specifically on opposing teams playing against us I mean, we have all this. We have a, a nice depth in um, in cornerbacks and defensive backs. But why don't want to, why wouldn't just other teams just play us in twenty one personnel or twenty two personnel and eliminate those defensive backs? You think would that be a problem for us? Like you know, especially our division opponents. I know Cowboys are probably going to go you know heavy. What about like the Redskins and, and the Eagles? And I'll and I'll take uh, the call. But uh, I'll listen off the off the air. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Antonio. Well, I don't know if I necessarily agree that uh, teams are, are going to go heavy personnel and just pound the ball against a defensive front that has Tomlinson, Lawrence, and Hill. Uh, I think you're almost playing to the Giants' strength that way, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, do you want to try to get Giants linebackers on the field maybe because they're not the best in coverage? Maybe I could see that. But look, when, when you're throwing a bunch of cornerbacks without experience out there, teams are going to try to target these guys until they show that they can stop them. Which, who knows? Maybe they'll do that early and they're not going to target them. I don't know that. But when you see a bunch of guys without a lot of experience out there, guess what? Bullseyes get put out there on game plan. So I think teams are going to try to spread the Giants out and throw on them pretty early. But that would, If I was an offensive coordinator, that's what I would try to do. And you make them prove that they can do it. And if they do, great. If they don't, we'll see what happens. Well, I would agree with you. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but let's look at week one against the Dallas Cowboys, okay? At least play the paper game, John. They brought in Randall Cobb this offseason, veteran wide receiver from the Packers. They have Amari Cooper. You're going to tell me Kellen Moore, their new offensive coordinator, former quarterback, is not saying to himself, let's see what these young rookies in the Giants secondary opposite Janoris Jenkins can do. And then also Jason Witten's back in the fold too, by the way. And Michael Gallup's back. Correct, who had a really nice second half of the season once Amari Cooper came over. So, yeah, if I'm Dallas, based on the last caller's question— I know you have Zeke and you got a good offensive line and nobody's saying that they're going to force Dak Prescott to throw the ball 45 times in that game. But I, I do think if you're the Cowboys, I'd want to take my chances. I'd want to see what Sam Beal can do. I want to see what DeAndre Baker could do. And you know what? If those guys hold up, then that's great news for the Giants. But if I'm the Cowboys, I'm going in saying they got barely any experience in an NFL situation. Let's test them there and then we can work on pounding You're going to see double moves. You're going to see all sorts of stuff to try to get these kids. And week three, you got Tampa. And if you don't think Tampa's chucking the ball over the field on you, they get to chuck the ball over the field on you. So we're going to learn a lot about this Giants secondary early. 201-939-4513. Scott of New Mexico will be our final caller today. Hey, Scotty. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing great. I had a question. Uh, One team I'm pretty high on this year, listening to your analysis, was Jacksonville because Mm. of the draft choices and also Nick Foles joining the, the team. And one player, obviously Josh Allen, I think is going to make a tremendous difference. And my question really goes to the way defenses are actually, um, what the nomenclature of defenses are today. Because the Giants play a 3-4, but because of all the sub-packages, and even with Jacksonville, I think Josh Allen was considered a 4-3 linebacker. 
does it make any difference because of all the changes the teams make during the games itself, whether you start off as a 3-4 or a 4-3 defense? Does it really have any relevance anymore because of all the different types of schemes that uh, teams run? I was just curious. Not as much, um, Scott. My, Scott, you're on the right path. It doesn't matter nearly as much. I think teams were in their base defense anywhere between 20 and 25% of the plays last year, and then they're otherwise they're in sub-package, which usually has four men down the line of scrimmage, whether you're a 3-4 or a 4-3. So, no, it's becoming less and less important as teams play more and more sub-packages. Right. And uh, as it relates to the Giants and the personnel that they have, do you see them switching out of a number of the 3-4 concepts and really going to a lot of different types of formats for defense just so James Betcher can take advantage of his personnel? And that was basically my question. I can take your answers off the air. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. I think Betcher likes to do multiple fronts and multiple personnel packages anyway. So, yeah, I think you are. And, you know, David Deal's been great this this spring and summer. He's coming in, and Dan Salmon and I are going to sit down. He's watching his tape, and he's kind of trying to teach us a little bit of how offensive lines set up protections and, and, and kind of do all that stuff. And, it's guys, it's really complicated, by the way. It's like, like you have no idea how complicated this stuff is because I'm still – my mind's blown by some of it. But simply identifying whether a team is in a three-man front or a four-man front determines how you work your protections, Right. So the benefit of having somebody like Betcher, who is going to try to confuse teams, well, is this guy a stand-up rusher, or is he just a Sam linebacker? Is this guy really playing a, a defensive end and making it a four-man front, or is he more of a linebacker and then it's a three-man front? Those types of things can screw up protections, and it's why teams do stuff like that. Well, and that's why I think it's dependent on what we were talking about earlier. You know, How much do guys like Zimenez, Carter, Golden give you game in and game out because those are three versatile players who I think you can move around John and if he sees early on that he's getting great production to Scott's point you know that may give James Betcher the ability to say hey we're going to bring some of the guys to the line of scrimmage early in the season or you know I feel more comfortable keeping them as stand-up rushers that's all dependent on productivity from personnel if you go back to Arizona you know, he loved hybrid players. Dayon Buchanan is a player that I bring up all the time. Somebody that, you know, was interchangeable between safety and linebacker. Jabril Peppers is somebody that comes to mind. But all of that luxury comes with productivity. If these guys don't produce when you move them around and it's confusing the personnel, then you probably stop doing all of that. But as far as a big picture perspective, yeah, if you're going to have your third corner on the field more often than not, then really at the end of the day is a matter whether you run a 3-4 or a 4-3 or four, because you can move those personnel around as it begins with. So I, I wouldn't get too caught up in, oh my God, this defense is moving this year to a 3-4 and they ran a 4-3 when you're probably going to give various offenses different looks over the course of the year because that's why you want to have players that you can move around on your roster because in the event of injuries, you also may need to change your formations. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. It's hashtag Giants chat. Send in your tweets. We'll get to them over the course of every single Big Blue Kickoff Live show. Lisa at So Bad Six. This year, who do you see having the best year at wide receiver? Will it be veteran Golden Tate, or can it be a young guy that surprises us like a Corey Coleman? Well, uh, I think the, the two top wide receivers are going to be Shepard or Tate. Whether one or the other has more catches or yards than the other, I don't know. I, I, it's, to me, it's a coin flip. I think they're going to spread the ball around. Matchups will dictate it. Maybe whoever breaks a couple tackles and makes a couple big plays, that'll change that. But I think who that top guy in the second tier is going to be is interesting. And I think Benny Fowler has an outside shot at it. Corey Coleman has a shot at it. I think Darius Slayton has emerged. And I think he has a chance to be that speedster third guy. You know, remember Martavis Bryant when he kind of came in as a rookie? Didn't really run that many routes. Didn't know what he was doing, but he was their deep threat for the Steelers. I could see Darius Slayton, minus all the off-field stuff, thankfully, take kind of that type of role with Tate and Shepard. So I give him a real shot to, to compete for that third spot. But I think Corey Coleman, with his athletic ability, I know he's your guy, former first-round pick. I think he's a shot to be that kind of deep threat third wide receiver in this group as well. Hey, Slayton could be a player that provides flashes here or there. He's got so much speed, man. Four three eight has that potential. Uh, Coleman, maybe a little bit more consistency. And then Cody Latimer, you know, don't lose sleep over him. I mean, don't overlook him, excuse me, because of the fact that, you know, he made plays last year. Just problem is couldn't stay healthy. And he's been a consistent weapon for the Giants since he's arrived here. 
He also has familiarity with Tyke Tolbert. I think there's a lot to like with Cody Latimer. Just the sample size last year was minute. You barely really got to see what he could do. As far as the most productive receiver, if you were to ask me, I think Golden Tate is going to finish with the most receiving yards out of that core. I think he's done it consistently during the course of his career. I mean, look at what he did at Detroit. Last year, you really can't read too much into the numbers because he split the season between Detroit and Philly. But, I mean, this is a guy that is a consistent 90-reception, 1,000-yard receiver. I'm not saying that he's going to get those numbers this year. But I think it's reasonable to say Golden Tate could very well lead the team in both of those categories. And, you know, Shepard, I don't know if necessarily he is going to be a lock for second because Evan Ingram, I think if he stays healthy, he could very well finish second in some of those categories on the team. That's good stuff. Absolutely. You and Detino tomorrow or Fiegels? You and Fiegels tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live at noon on Giants.com. Make sure you check it out. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.